Beer and Honey, the German football pod. Beer and Honey, the German football pod. In this week's edition, Leverkusen dominate neighbors Köln. Dortmund play shock horror good football against Union. Bayern make light work of Freiburg. Leverkusen dominate neighbors Köln. And Bochum, hooray, draw a blank at Leipzig. All of this and much, much more in this week's edition of the Beer and Honey Pod. Hello, dear listener. I'm Raphael Honigstein. And I'm Christoph Biermann. And we welcome you to Match Day 7 of this uh, ever-changing, ever-entertaining, super-exciting Bundesliga season. Could have also mentioned Stuttgart and Gürassi doing something special in the intro, but fret not, we will, of course, visit the surprise package of this season in the course of this podcast. Uh, before we start, let me just remind you that uh, we very much rely on your support. We had a pod sponsored by a listener last week for a good course. If you want to do that, uh, please do get in touch. If you just want to become a regular member of the Beer and Honey Supporters Club, it's all on steadyhq.com slash en slash Beer and Honey. Um, and on our socials, you can also become an ultra and take out a season ticket and get a very special mug in return. But uh, let's start. Plenty of goals, plenty of games to talk about, and perhaps the first managerial change of the season as well. Okay, Christoph, uh, let's start at a very unusual place, or unusual for the Beer and Honey podcast. We don't tend to talk a lot about them, maybe wrongly so, but... This week, um, it's worth taking a closer look at our friends from Augsburg. They lost 2-1 at home to Darmstadt, a newly promoted Darmstadt, who are going quite a little bit better than people had feared or anticipated. But for Enno Maaßen of Augsburg, it might well have been the last game as manager in charge. As we record, he's still the Augsburg manager, on Monday morning. But by the time you listen to this, or in the evening, he might no longer be. What's going on at Augsburg? Yeah, um, as you said, they lost against Darmstadt. Um, uh, so um, that's an important point. They played badly. Um, and so Darmstadt deserved to win. So it, it wasn't a freak result or, or something like that. And um, if you look at the overall situation uh, in Augsburg, um, I think uh, when they when they sit down and and talk about the situation, um, as you said, there is a big chance um, that uh, Enrico Maaßen will be released of his duties. Uh, there was something. Um, that Chauveleu, uh, uh, the Dutch defender, uh, said after the game. He said, ah, well, we we have a pretty unexperienced squad and an unexperienced coach, um, uh, hinting uh, that maybe uh, Enrico Maaßen in the second season at Augsburg still is not mm, fully in charge of the... Uh, situation and um, and um, 
they have been trying or he has been uh, trying to find a way for Augsburg to play that works um, um, so so for example so in general he wanted to have more possession for the team play better football and and so on and um, but then again in some games um, he he gave the ball to the opposing team one example was their 2-2 draw against uh, Bochum where they played on a counter and um, but whatever um, he tried to do it didn't uh, properly work and so uh, Augsburg are in a bad situation and 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 if you look back at the um, last season only because Stuttgart um, at that time on the last day of the uh, season only managed a 1-1 draw against Hoffenheim uh, they had to play in the relegation and normally or if they had won, Augsburg uh, would have uh, to play in the relegation uh, games against Hamburg. So already last season was very disappointing. Also when we have in mind that they invested some money uh, uh, due to the help of um, uh, US investor Blitzer who put some money into the club. So, mm, um, so my, I wouldn't be surprised um, if we uh, see a new coach at uh, Augsburg. Yeah, the numbers are are not good. Marsen has the worst points average in thirty years as an Augsburg coach. They've only lost. They've only won two of their last nineteen competitive games. Um, yeah, I mean, once a club openly talk about the manager and openly talk about <laughs> the fact that they're talking about him, things tend to go only in one direction. Um, not looking good. Any ideas who they might pick um, if you were to go? Actually, not. I mean, there are some usual candidates like Sandro uh, Schwarz, for example. Um, Peter Neurohrer. <laughs> <laughs> Peter Neurohrer, um, uh, some of our older listeners uh, might have heard uh, the name. He was the uh, typical Feuerwehrmann. Um, in, but, but that's long ago. I don't know how, how, how long, 10 years or so, when it was the last time when Peter Neurohrer... Longer, 15, I would uh, say. When he was in charge... Um, yeah, very Peter Neurohrer, always very entertaining, sometimes very successful as a Feuerwehrmann. Um, but uh, I think we don't won't see him in Augsburg. There is another team uh, with bad numbers, um, and that's Werder Bremen. And um, where they, I, I, I would guess, don't discuss... Um, the situation of the coach, because Ole Werner is very popular and in in Bremen, uh, but they have the least points of all Bundesliga uh, teams in um, 2023. Uh, again, uh, they have already conceded 17 goals. That's a lot, and um, they lost at home against. Um, Hoffenheim, 
who now have won all their four away games uh, this season, very impressively, uh, thanks to a last-minute goal from um, Marius Bülter. Uh, but uh, I think um, uh, Werder very much looks like a relegation candidate uh, right now. And, I mean, they had this... They had this huge transfer of Nabi Keita, who played for the first time from the uh, start in the Bundesliga this season for Werder because he he was injured, as he was so often when he was in Liverpool. And unfortunately, he picked up an injury again and will be out for uh, for many weeks. So... And they also have a lot of problems with injured players in their defense, have to, to move their defense around a lot. And as I said, um, have already conceded 17 goals. I mean, the way they lost the game was perhaps typical for a team that doesn't get the breaks at the moment because they found the late equalizer uh, through Stage in the 91st minute. But then in the 92nd minute, uh, Bülter scored to win the game for Offenheim. Uh, Bremen were talking about this infamous game, Christoph, that we referred to a few times last season where they won 3-2 at Dortmund with three goals in injury time. And they were thinking after they got equalizer that history might repeat itself, but no, they conceded on the other side. And defensively, I think since the very first match day when they lost at home to Bayern, it's just been very shaky. And without Niklas Füllkrug up front, also perhaps not the guarantee to outscore the opposition in every single game. Yeah. Talking about scoring in every single game, does the name Serhu Girassi mean anything to you, dear listener? Well, it should by now. It should by now. But if it doesn't, let me remind you, It's a Guinea international playing for VfB Stuttgart. And he scored again, not just one, not just two, but three goals in 15 minutes at home to Wolfsburg for VfB Stuttgart. And that is, I need to make sure that I get the maths right here, his 13th goal in seven Bundesliga games this season. What the hell? Uh, incredible. Incredible. And it's a historic record because no other player in the history of the Bundesliga managed to score 13 goals after uh, seven rounds. Um, uh, before that, it was um, Robert Lewandowski, unsurprisingly, with 11 after seven games. And uh, But not Robert Lewandowski, not Gerd Müller, not uh, Klaus Fischer or any other of the great Bundesliga striker manage uh, these numbers. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, um, I, I, I mean, I, I, my guess was that um, after his uh, tremendous start with 10 goals uh, uh, before this hat-trick, um, that mm, the goal production might dry up Because uh, when you look at, at the numbers, I mean, um, or the underlying numbers, um, he, he, he scored uh, twice as many goals as his um, uh, expected goals suggested. But <laughs> so far, 
Um, he is uh, still on fire and probably a bit unhappy about the international break because uh, right now you have the feeling as if he just scores and scores and scores and he does it in a in a with a lightness and and uh, it looks so easy how he scored the goal he, he had one penalty uh, that he converted totally relaxed and in and, and, and fantastic fashion and two other goals where uh, yeah he was just ultra cool in front of the goal and uh, yeah and now Stuttgart are second in the table yeah it's it's a tremendous achievement I mean last year we were saying they they are much better than the results <laughs> Uh, this year, if they're better than the results, then there's nowhere to go because they're already at the very top. And they're playing some really good stuff. Um, they play not just attacking, not just counter-attacking football, which is how the team played before Sebastian Hoeneß took over uh, with their fast players. But now uh, there's a real flair to their game. There's real creativity on the ball, some really nice movements and yeah, just a joy, a joy to watch this team. Mm. And they're playing Union next, which is, <laughs> I think, bad news for Union Berlin. We'll talk about them in a sec on the sec in a second. Uh, maybe one last word on, on uh, Girassi. I'm pleased to report that uh, unlike his three goals the other day. Uh, this is considered officially in Germany a proper hat-trick because he's got the goals in the same half. No one interrupting the three goals. So um, you'd be pleased to know that the uh, so-called Dreierpack, which often is being used to refer to three goals that are not a German hat-trick, have been upgraded to the Full title this time round. I, I've, I've never understood why there is some kind of uh, Deutsches Reinheitsgebot concerning uh, this uh, uh, this hat trick discussion. Yeah, beer yeah. and and hat tricks have to be adhering to very strict standards in Germany. But you know, it wouldn't be German <laughs> if we didn't have strict standards. Of course, right, Christoph. Okay. Uh, I mentioned Union. Um, it's not been a great week. They lost very late on against Braga. They traveled to Dortmund on the back of six defeats in a row. And they ran into a Dortmund team that played really well, especially in the second half, and won 4-2. And that's now seven defeats in a row for Union. But let's start with Dortmund. Were they worthy of their 4-2 win? And what did they do well for um, you? I think it was pretty much uh, Edin Terzic win. Uh, because you said um, that in the um, first half they had real difficulties. They were 1-2 down. After a lot of uh, controversy uh, concerning VAR, a lot of um, VAR reviews with two offside goals that um, that finally um, were offside, but they had 
uh, technical problems in the famous or infamous uh, Cologne basement. Um, uh, there was this penalty awarded to um, to Union that Bonucci converted also after VAR and so on. But in the first half, Union played well and Dortmund had a lot of difficulties. And then um, Edin Terzic reshuffled uh, his team at halftime um, put them in a different order, brought in Julian Brandt, uh, for example, and then managed to turn it around into 4-2. And, um, and, and I think we, we can see um, it's difficult to run this Dortmund team, but Edin um, more and more looks like the man who is able to to find solutions, and now they have uh, four wins in a row in the Bundesliga, and um, yeah, I'm. Uh, they are not not flying. They are not uh, winning in style. They are not fully convincing always. But as I said, um, they find solutions. Yeah, and they were especially good from set pieces. Uh, very dangerous. Uh, Julian Brandt was especially important for this team. We talked about the, the sort of the comeback or the renaissance of Marco Royce, who'd scored three goals in as many games in the league recently. But was this, uh, once again, the Julian Brandt show? And is he, is he perhaps Dortmund's best player at the moment? Yeah, but, or most important player? I, I think there are several... Uh, very important players and uh, Mats Hummels, who re who is returning uh, to the um, uh, German national team, when the Ge uh, German national team today is traveling to the U.S. to play the U.S. Uh, men's national team, and also to play against Mexico in the U.S. Uh, so he he is very important, and I would say also Julian Riasson is pretty important. The Norwegian who scored the fourth goal for for Borussia, um, he is giving this team a quality that is very much needed. Um, I mean, he is the hard, he is a workhorse of, of the team. Who He is the one who, who is always showing the right attitude and I, I think kind of inspiring some of his teammates who are Sometimes a bit more, yeah, uh, easy on on things and uh, yeah, um, Gregor Kobel to mention and so on so on. So um, uh, there are some some pillars of this uh, still not fully balanced uh, Borussia team. Yeah, and afterwards, um, Hans Joachim Watzke talked about the fact that Edin Terzic was never in doubt at least um, internally. That's what uh, what he said. Remember, um, there was quite a big debate about Edin Terzic's future when they went into the last international break in September. But Hans-Joachim Watzke, the Dortmund CEO, saying, no, no, we never wavered. We always believed in him. And of course, he's had a very good run in the Champions League, not going quite as well just yet. But in the league, they have been solid at least in terms of results, even if the football has been a little bit patchy at times, they are in a decent position um, just behind 
Liedes Bayer Leverkusen, two points. Leverkusen, who went into the, well, is it a derby? Is it just a neighborly meeting? Uh, it is a derby of sorts, but it doesn't quite have sort of the full derby stamp of approval between Leverkusen and Köln. Um, Leverkusen, very much the smaller neighbor, just across from the Rhine. And there was a lot of talk about, um, you know, uh, Köln saying, yes, you might have won a few UEFA Cups, but uh, we are always going to be the bigger club. And, you know, who are you? But in terms of the football that's being played at the moment, they're not quite on the same level, are they? So the big derby for, for Cologne is um, obviously uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach. That will be uh, their next game um, after the international break. And... Um, It's a big one for um, Leverkusen, no doubt about it, because, as you said, they are seen as the noisy neighbor uh, for, from, from, uh, from Cologne. Uh, but it's, 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 it's very important for, for Cologne as well. And they manage to create, um, very often uh, create uh, serious problems for, for Bayer Leverkusen in the past. Um, also here and there, winning in Leverkusen and, and so on. But this time, as you said, they were um, losing 3-0 or Bayer was winning 3-0 and they played some tremendous football it was so so much fun to to, to watch them because uh, right now they they seem to have it all and and i found it especially uh, impressive because on thursday they had to play in the europa league in norway in molde and um Yeah, and you, uh, it's normal. You come back from this kind of trips. I feel a bit tired. And, and uh, we, we talk about, uh, RB Leipzig later on. You, you, for example, you could see, um, uh, that the uh, playing in the Champions League had an effect on them. Probably also Union Berlin, but, uh, Leverkusen not. And, um, so they, They they uh, play short pass co combination. They play long balls. They um, move positions. They are um, at the same time fully flexible and um, and also um, uh, you you get the impression uh, that everybody knows what to do in every uh, minute of uh, the game. And uh, so although. Um, Cologne was fighting hard. They didn't have a chance. No, they didn't have a chance. And Leverkusen, as you said, played some really sumptuous stuff. I love the first goal, the movement, the layer of Jonas Hofmann, who was outstanding in this particular game. One of the real reasons that uh, Leverkusen haven't just maintained the standard of last season, but perhaps added another level or two. Of course, Victor Boniface as well. Their uh, new signing scored. Uh, once more uh, to make it uh, 3-0. And yeah, Leverkusen, I mean, we've been saying it all along, but they are the real deal. And it's a real joy watching them play. Best football team in Germany at the moment. Although there is a small club from the south of the country in deep Bavaria, 
who are not doing so badly all of a sudden. Um, in the home game against Freiburg, who can be a very awkward opponent and make life ugly and difficult for just about everyone, they actually played one of their better, if not their best, football this season. I'm talking, of course, about our serial champions, Bayern Munich, a 3-0 win against Freiburg that was never for one second really in doubt. Um, Leroy Sané had a wonderful goal chalked off. He's been in superb form. He's got the second goal for Bayern. Kingsley Coman with a cross that was, um, yeah, inadvertently going into goal and later on uh, a deflected shot again from Coman to make it 3-0. But Bayern, um, in the words of Thomas Tuchel, were fluid. They had energy. They had presence. They played with confidence and yeah, they're beginning to look like a like a proper good football team. Surprise, surprise. Yeah, um, maybe it's a bit too much praise uh, okay. for, the, for, for them. Um, at least that was my impression. Yes, it was the most one-sided um, Bundesliga match of this weekend. I mean, they were... Uh, um, uh, Freiburg literally... Uh, didn't have a chance. Uh, they had two shots, and I think if you you combine them, they had less than zero point one expected goals. So uh, almost nothing. Uh, I think uh, Bayern had about twenty two shots, and so they uh, Freiburg was completely overwhelmed. And and you you're right. It's sometimes difficult to play against them, but uh, Bayern ma made it look easy. Um, so, so, but but also sometimes uh, it, it was a bit boring. Um, it, it was was a bit static. Um, but um, I mean, if you want win three nil against a, a team that is regarded as difficult, um, if you score some nice goals, I think you. Um, you you can sometimes um, in ninety minutes. Sometimes you can take your time and relax a bit and spare energy um, and so on. So, um, yeah, um, Bayern is, um, they're on their way. That's at least my impression. Yeah. Not, 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 not like, uh, not, not fascinating, not, not fantastic. And so, but, uh, very, very um, solid. So a luxurious version of solidity. Something. Oh, that's, yeah, very nice. I like that. Uh, luxurious, sort of a Mercedes-Benz kind of. Uh, you, you can't say that in... In, in Bavaria, in, in, yeah, I know. Uh, yeah. I know. So I retract that statement. I'm sorry. So it, it's it's some kind of um, uh, BMW, or, or but Bayern is with Audi, not with yeah. Uh, BMW. Yeah, maybe an Audi. Yeah, an Audi. Okay. Uh, <laughs> let's move on. You mentioned uh, your trip to Leipzig, Christoph. Uh, the one game you managed to find this uh, match day. It feels like it was the one game the whole season that didn't see a single goal. But my guess is 
because it was Farfel Bochum who were the opponents of Leipzig that day, you weren't all that bothered. Am I right? You're absolutely right, because especially after um, Bochum managed to get uh, 10 goals in the last two games, so um, their first uh, uh, goalless game this season is very good news uh, with the blue and whites. And, uh, and, and yes, um, uh, this game had a hero in Manuel Neumann, uh, Manuel Neumann, in Manuel Riemann, uh, Bochum's goalkeeper, who uh, saved two penalties, uh, one from Xavi Simmons and uh, one from Forsberg in the second half. And, um, and, and that's fantastic numbers for Riemann because, I mean, we, we talked about it that uh, Bochum is uh, getting so many penalties against them. Uh, since they got up uh, to the Bundesliga um, uh, uh, two years or a bit more than two years ago, um, it were already a penalty uh, 22 and 23 that were awarded against them. And 11 of them weren't converted. And um, so uh, Manuel Riemann is a real Elfmeter-Töter penalty killer for um, for Bochum who uh, changed their um, their tactics uh, were playing much deeper than in the games before that um, uh, changed a lot of the personnel and uh, it looked as if um, uh, Thomas Letch uh, yeah uh, found the right solution because apart from these penalties um, the first one was a bit dubious um, uh, Leipzig didn't create much. They looked tired after their uh, game against uh, Manchester City in the in the Champions League um, uh, a few days before. And um, yeah, so um, the this nil nil was a kind of deserved result. And uh, Marco Rosa said afterwards, uh, this would have been typically one of these games uh, where uh, sometimes the um, opponent scores from one of the few counter-attacks. And so, so he was kind of not happy about the nil-nil, but at least um, that they, uh, uh, they didn't lose it. Yeah, I mean, amazing, amazing achievement, really, to go to, to Leipzig. Was it just Leipzig's tiredness, or did Bochum do something especially well defensively? They had um, they they defended much deeper. Um, they uh, defended more in space because very often uh, this season their approach was 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 a kind of man marking all over the pitch, very high up, very aggressive. This time they um, uh, they parked the bus uh, in a way, and they did it properly. Um, were um, very concentrated, very uh, everybody helping uh, everybody else. So um, it, yeah, it, it it was a good performance. It's I mean it's you're in a way lucky um, when when your goalkeeper saves two two penalties. But as I said, um, uh, Leipzig didn't create much. They they had like more than seventy percent possession, but they didn't have a lot of ideas. And I, 
my impression was um, that they were also surprised that um, a bit at the beginning that Bochum had changed the, the approach and didn't really know what to do with the situation for, for quite a while. And uh, yeah, so um, a good result for Bochum, a, um, a probably not a good result for, for, for RB, but, but also not a, yeah, not a big sh shock or so. Yeah, I would say it was a big shock for Bochum to to get appointed Leipzig. But um, one good result uh, left to really talk about. And that was Frankfurt's 2-0 win over Heidenheim. On paper, the sort of game that they absolutely have to win. But Heidenheim have made things very difficult in recent weeks for almost anybody. And this was only Frankfurt's second win in this campaign, um, giving them a bit of breathing space in mid-table. And uh, one more game we should just quickly, I think, talk about was uh, Gladbach's 2-2 against Mainz. Um, Gladbach still without a win at home. Mainz still without a win, full stop. Um, so the kind of result, as we say in Germany, that doesn't help either side. Uh, Christoph, before we go, I think it is worth briefly looking at the German national team. Uh, you mentioned that Mats Hummels is uh, back in the first ever call-up from Julian Nagelsmann. But there was one or two, there are one or two more surprises in the side. Yeah, one of the surprises is um, uh, uh, that Kevin Behrens uh, from Union Berlin got, got a call uh, from Julian Nagelsmann. And literally, he got two calls and uh, somebody, and he was thinking, um, that somebody made a prank or, or so. <laughs> and, uh, and then he finally found out it was really Julian Nagelsmann who, uh, who, who rang him up to invite him to the German national team. Um, yeah, I, I think it's, it shows the more pragmatic approach of, um, of Nagelsmann. I mean, Kevin Behrens is not the man of the future. He is uh, 32 years uh, old, but he had shown, not in the last weeks, but but in general, in recent months, uh, that he can be a very a good goal scorer, has certain qualities to keep the ball up front and, and, and so on. But um, he also um, invited another former Union Berlin uh, player Robert Andrich from Bayer Leverkusen and I find that interesting because Robert Andrich right now is um, kind of um, back up to Granit Xhaka at, at Leverkusen so he is not not a regular in the first team and then um, there is a, a third player who had never played for the German national team before that is Chris Führig Uh, from Stuttgart um, on on the on the left side and and I think that also shows um, that uh, Julian Nagelsmann is more looking for players in form and um, as and and Führig is we, we talked about this flying uh, Stuttgart team and and one of them who gives them wings is uh, Chris Führig and. Um, Yeah, and um, who else do we have? We mentioned Mats Hummels, who returned to the German national team. Um, who else return, will, will return? Thomas Müller. 
and um, yeah, you mentioned everyone, but uh, there was one more interesting change, uh, Christoph, that I'm sure you picked up in the last few years. I think going back to 2016, although I'm not a hundred percent sure on that, whenever the German national team list has been published. Uh, the German FA or the coaches in time didn't distinguish between midfielders and attackers. But now, drum roll, we actually have attackers again in this, in this team. Behrens, Füllkrug, Havertz and Müller. Havertz, perhaps interestingly, mentioned as attackers and uh, a long list of midfielders, uh, quite a few of them. Uh, already mentioned. What does that tell us about Julian Nagelsmann and this new German team, if anything? There is this discussion in German football that we have too many midfield players. So, so as so, all the the quality of the team is kind of concentrated in in midfield. And if you uh, put midfield players and and strikers or attacking players together, it looks like as if they all are midfielders or even if they are not. And probably that's a message. Hmm? That might be one of the messages. I, I get a feeling that maybe it's something a bit more visceral, um, a bit more symbolic. I think that maybe Julian uh, Nagelsmann and the people around him want to show that this is kind of a back-to-basics approach. You know, forget about this idea that everyone can play up front and it's all very fluid. Uh, just with that little delinea delineation, uh, going back to how things used to be, that you had attacker and midfielders. I, I might be wrong, but that could be sort of the subliminal manage that we are, you know, we're in a different era and we're going maybe back to the, I don't know if they're going back to the German virtues, but we're going back to doing things in an orderly uh, and, uh, yeah, easily understandable fashion. Yeah. Probably. Also, uh, um, uh, before we go, probably no, uh, one, one uh, thing. There were some complaints about these U.S. trips in the middle of the season, uh, traveling over time zones and, and so on. Um, but Hans-Joachim Watzke, the um, uh, Dortmund boss, uh, was saying uh, something interesting. He, he was saying, yeah, might be right, but it would really help the team to grow as a team as you go together on a, a far away trip uh, or so. And I, I found that um, a nice idea and he's probably right. I mean, it's um, maybe it helps to bond this team together uh, with a new coach. And uh, But let's see. Yeah, it's going to be an uh, interesting, interesting uh, little trip. Um, I mean, Hans-Joachim Watzke, I don't know, was he speaking as the vice chairman of the FA or as the I, CEO I think, of Borussia Dortmund? Uh, yeah, more as so he has many hats to put on. <laughs> And he was wearing his FA one at the time. I mean, Edin Terzic not happy at all, of course, about this trip because Dortmund will have the first game back. Is it a Friday night game? I think so. Yeah, just a few hours after the Germany team will return from their overseas travel and they're playing uh, away. No, they're playing at home to Werder Bremen on Friday night. So not the ideal preparation. 
So, so maybe Hans-Joachim Watzke, the, the um, uh, head of Borussia Dortmund, is going to Hans-Joachim Watzke yeah. as the vice president of the um, uh, German FA to complain about this. I think so. And, and then uh, as a um, uh, vice president of the German FA, he will explain it to Hans-Joachim Watzke as the um, a Dortmund boss, how important that is for, for getting the bonding, the team and, and also for the international markets and so on. So, yeah, and then we can have the, the nice German headline, Watzke spricht ein Machtwort. <laughs> yes. Uh, translating as Watzke makes a stand. Watzke, um, ja, Machtwort. Uh, Word of power. Uh, very hard to explain. Yeah, it, it's it's a statement that comes from a position of power and kind of kills the debate. Um, if if I was more tabloidy inclined, I would say Watzke slams or Watzke hammers. Watzke. Borussia Dortmund. Yeah, Watzke, yeah, in this case, yeah. <laughs> Dortmund complains. Anyway, uh, I hope that you find any reason to complain. Uh, thank you very much for listening. That was match day seven in uh, this season's Beer and Honey podcast. Yeah, we'll be back with a special edition in a week's time or just under a week's time when we look back at Germany's trip to the US and Julian Nagelsmann's first game in charge as Germany national team manager. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for coming back for that uh, special podcast on Sunday. I was Raphael Honigstein. I was Christoph Biermann. And we say bye-bye. Bye-bye. Beer and Honey, the German football podcast. <laughs>